Hey guys, this is Randy Palmer. Thank you for joining the Family Strong podcast. Uh, I believe in the power of your family. Uh, I'd like to talk today about why that is. Um, today I want to talk about, I got a call, I got a, a call, I'd like to share a story with you. Uh, somebody I've been working with on and off, and they called today and said, the strangest things, the strangest thing just happened this weekend. I was around my family and I just decided to open up and talk to them. And I told them that I'd been struggling periodically with, with opiates, with pain pills that the doctors prescribed. And it was the strangest thing because everyone opened up after that. And my brothers who struggle with alcohol that have always been defensive just opened up and shared and talked. And it got me thinking about tips and tricks that I've used at times in my own life with my own family and also that I recommend that you might be able to use to engage your family in the process of healing, whatever that might look like. I then thought, wow, I remember every day when I was in the middle of my addiction and I was wanting to get clean and I was making deals with friends to maintain the my bottle and doing different things, including talking to my mom and dad at times. I was always an, uh, an honest person, I felt like. But the truth was, I, I wanted to quit a long time before I did. The problem was that wasn't consistent, right? And then I didn't know how. It always boggles my mind when somebody says, I had a family member approach me about getting clean, and I told them to come back when they were serious. And I asked them, well, what do you mean when they're serious? Like, what would it take for them to be serious? And they said, well, they have to show me some, some clean time. And that's when I said, don't you get it? Don't you understand? They're, they don't know how to get clean time. People think it's a d the disease of using. If you put a gun to their head, if you're familiar with Pleasure Unwoven, by, there's a doctor out of Utah that's make it, made it his mission to prove that for all intents and purposes of the way that the United States of America measures if something's a disease or not, he's saying that addiction, substance abuse, is a disease. Maybe you've heard this passed around, and you know the older generation, they'll say, no, it's not, it's a choice. Well, at the end of the day, we're both kind of right. No sense in arguing about it. What it boils down to is at times, I could choose not to use, but I couldn't choose not to think about it the next morning. I couldn't choose not to be sick, although I do believe in the power of our minds, and I do believe in the placebo effect, and I do believe we have the ability to choose a lot more than we realize. But the craving, the hunger, imagine the sex drive. Sure, you can deny sex. Sure, you can deny food. But can you deny the cravings to that food or that sex for months? At some point, it becomes a biological war that you're going to lose. So if you're someone in a situation like I was, that you're like, man, I, I really want to get clean. I don't really want to go to rehab. I don't really want to spend all this money. I don't really want to have to stand up and say I'm an addict every day. But I know I'm in deeper than I can handle myself at this point. If that's you, 
Or if you're someone who is looking at your family and there's somebody in there and you're like, man, I want to help them. I want to get them clean. They're struggling. It's really becoming a burden on the whole family. Every time we talk about it, it's a fight. Every time they're around me, I'm just analyzing their body language, checking their pupils, doing everything I can not to take a blood sample because I want to know if they're high or not. How do we engage people when they're resisting? This is the problem with addiction, right? Almost every other disease, whatever you want to call it, when someone's presented with the opportunity to clear it up, they accept it. With the exception of freaking addiction. They're going to deny it. It's like the family that lives in the, the earthquake bunker, the doomsdayers up in the hills and by Lake Tahoe in Northern California that are denying cancer treatment to their four-year-old in the name of personal choice and whatever you want to do. We can go down that rabbit hole as far as you want. Most people accept the treatment, although it may not be perfect for whatever the disease is. And I would like to get into more at some point about other cultures and Eastern medicine and the future. But for now, we're going to stay on topic. How do you engage a loved one if they're resistant? Or two, how do you get clean if you want to, but you don't know how and you're kind of scared to like move forward? Let's start with the latter. Man, if you're someone who wants to get clean, you're struggling, you're just tired of the grind, you're tired of the people you buy it from. You're tired of the way you feel when you take it. You're tired of the way you feel after you take it. You're tired of being sick, tired of being broke, tired of being scared, tired of being asleep. Whatever it is, if you see the time just passing every day, the calendar just rolling, and nothing is changing in your life, and you're like, I know I'm, I know I'm better than this, and I, I'm feeling that urge, that instinct, that the days, the days are numbered. Something has to give. If you got to the point where I was when I was in the trucking industry and my voice was being muted and I knew I should be doing what I'm doing right now, but I didn't know how to get out of that mindset and out of that, that system, and I prayed and I said, God, either take me out of this truck or take me off this earth. I don't care which one. You choose. That's the point I was at where I knew something needed to happen. That's also the point I got to when I knew I needed to go to rehab and I knew I needed, I needed to get clean. So you may not need to go to rehab like I did. I know that's what the typical model is, the typical model that gets less than 10% success rate. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You, you might, but let's start somewhere. I remember in my addiction... I was taking methadone, a, a ton of methadone, and I got a job with Walmart, and I went to California for this training, and I did the math, and I took 18 or 19 pills with me, knowing that we were staying six days, and I, if I took this many each day, I should be fine. I wouldn't get sick, and I could come home. Well, while we were there, some guys started partying in our hotel, and I took them all on the first two days. So, so that meant that I was stuck in California for four days without anything. 
What's interesting about that is by the time I got home, I'll never, rem I'll never forget we were driving on this bus, and by the time we got home, I was joking and laughing with some of the guys. I actually felt natural dopamine. I felt natural oxy oxycot what's what is it? The the feel good chemical, the relations the relationship chemical, oxytocin. I felt like I felt good. And then we get home and I get off the bus and then I remember, oh yeah. I have to have these tiny ass little pills to survive. So where can I get them? And then I went and found some and I took them. But for that moment, I forgot I needed them, and it had only been four days. Okay, the beauty about rehab is it, it puts you in a situation where you can clear your mind, where you don't have to remind yourself every five minutes that you don't need something, but that can be done in other ways. I often think, had I came to my family at that very moment, said, look, I've got four days, this is what's going on, I'm starting to have some cravings again, I'm back in this cycle, what can we do? And if we were to schedule it out between my two brothers and my two sisters and my parents and for the next 30 days be under 24-7 supervision with some of them or maybe go to the family cabin, combine that with my growing instinct that it was time to move on from this, follow that up with consistent family councils with accountability, it might have been a good starting point to measure what level of care I might need in the future. But of course, everyone in that situation would have had to be educated. And where are you going to get that when very few people even talk about it? I know one place you can get it, the Family Strong podcast. My Family Strong group training weekly or my personal services can walk you through this. Anyway, what I would do in your situation, if you're someone who's ready, you're at that point. Why don't you start with what you have? If you have family, if you have parents, brothers, sisters, ask them if you can have a family meeting. Why don't you do the intervention? Why don't you set the terms? Why don't you shed some light on this situation? Why don't you share with them what you're seeing in the family that you would also like to see change? Because that's a good, that's a different conversation. I'll tell you what, buddy. You have the courage to start that conversation. You're automatically coming from them, coming to them. You're automatically going to get some mutual respect. And it'll be different, I promise you, if you want to have the courage to engage in that conversation first. If you need help with that, let me know. The other scenario, if you're someone who's trying to get your loved one into treatment or you want to help him. You just want to help him get clean. There's three tips that I'll share with you. The first one is, why don't you approach it with I stories or I statements? So scenario one, hey, Billy, I noticed that you've been falling asleep again on at Sunday dinners. Um, you haven't showered in a few days. I'm concerned about you. Have you been using again? When are you going to stop this? How long is this going to go? You know we raised you better. What about your kids? Come on. That's scenario one. We know how that one ends. Imagine scenario two. You get real with yourself one day and you start reflecting in the mirror and you say, you know, the way that I have been treating this person or that I've been untrue to myself in these areas of my life, whatever that might be, maybe you're taking an extra pill here and there, maybe you're 
gambling a few extra games on the weekend. Maybe you're not engaging with healthy conversations with your spouse when you should, or there's something about you that you would really like to change, and it's personal, but you would feel vulnerable. You might appear weak. I'm going to invite you to tap into that and examine that and expose that. So scenario two is, hey, Billy, how you doing? Man, you know, I've just been thinking. I have not. I know I talk to you a lot about your life and your progress, but the truth is I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling financially. I know that we have some opportunities in our family. I know that your father has worked hard for everything that we have. And I have, once again, racked up credit cards, and I have nothing to show for it. And this has been a pattern throughout our entire marriage. And I realize that it affects every aspect of my life, emotionally and spiritually and everything. And I want to quit. I want, I need help. And I know you've been through some things. I know you're resilient. I know you're still figuring some things out. But how would you feel if I just talked to you once a week and got some advice? I'm going to talk to Dad about this. I might talk to some of the other siblings, but I feel like I need help. And maybe down the road we could have a family meeting about this. And I don't know, maybe you could ask for help too if you feel comfortable. But anyway, this isn't about you. This is about me, and if there's anybody else in the family that also has something that's an I story or an I statement that they would like to work on themselves, maybe they can offer some input too. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll keep you posted. Okay, that's a different conversation for Billy because at the end of the day, what you don't know, what most people don't know is addicts, people who are struggling with addiction, they're running around talking to their friends at least everyone that I knew, half of the conversations that we had were about how are we going to get clean? How are we going to change? How are we going to get out of this mess? How are we going to confront the challenges and the, the behaviors that we can see in our own families that are super uncomfortable and they're super, um, they hurt? Have you ever considered that someone might be using as a, as a protective mechanism or as a bonding mechanism to try to hold the family together because they don't want to die. They don't want to run away, but they don't want to sit there and watch the BS anymore because they can't take it. Have you ever considered that that action, whether it's alcohol or pills or whatever it is, is acting as a mechanism to protect the family from unresolved pain or vulnerability that might exist and might be exposed if the family didn't have something awfully convenient to talk about, namely Billy. They're tired of it too. So approach them with an I story or an I statement and make it real. I'll tell you another thing about those that are going through addiction. They have a deep sense for genuinality. They have a deep sense for something's authentic. They're, they're judging our hearts every step of the way because they're in the trenches. They consider themselves one of the lowest points of their lives. Half the reason that they're resisting the treatment is because in their heart they know that they're wrong. They're resisting the help because they feel like they screwed up, 
they can figure it out. Don't burden yourself for something that they did and they think wrongly that they're going to fix it and make it right because they know they're responsible. Which leads in nicely to my second point. The iceberg approach. When you have these conversations to try to engage your family in either helping you or helping them as a whole, we need to stop isolating one section of this iceberg. If you can imagine an iceberg floating out through the water, we need to start talking about the family as a whole and some of the systems and the patterns when it comes to communication and responses and maybe some guilt or shame that's carried. If your family's trying to keep a secret about someone's addiction or about someone's past or about finances or whatever it might be, if, if they're very guarded and trying to keep things secret, like it can't be discussed, although it, it is, but not like openly and definitely not with anybody else, where does that come from? Well, secrets come from carrying a certain amount of shame and blame and guilt. So as a family, you can at least start there to discuss some of these things directly. They don't need to be secrets. It's already all going to come out one day, I believe, so it doesn't need to be a secret. But let's, let's work away from focusing on one person and saying that this person needs to change. And after they change, everything in the family will be perfect. What if we work on changing the entire iceberg, moving it to water with a little cleaner, with a cleaner environment? Just even if the entire iceberg changes a little bit, it might be better than one person in the family making huge, enormous changes, which is just typically not likely, at least all at once. So that would be the second tip is have these conversations about the overall health and well-being of your family and gear anything that you do with family councils or any type of engagement with that type of language. If it's not for everyone, it's not for anyone. And intervention means everybody in the family is changing. The reality is anybody in the family can start that process. Anyone in the family can change to improve the family dynamics. So why is everybody looking at Billy? All right, tip number three, focus on goals, focus on desired outcomes. Instead of just the present or, or just the past, as a family using I stories and I statements, looking at the iceberg, I'll give you an example. I, I know of a situation, well, I'll just share my own example. My father bought some property inherited some debt from my grandpa on my mom's side and in his will when I was younger he put that I'm not entitled to any of this inheritance or anything until I'm 40 well I'll be 40 in a year but it got me thinking about how many fathers or grandparents right there out there right now are making decisions in their will or in these trusts or in dividing up their earthly goods, which have some value, but not near the value that your family has and these relationships have, serving people have. Uh, money and property and land and all this stuff is definitely like downstream. But at the end of the day, 
it's necessity for life, and then it gets people's attention. I wonder how many fathers have excluded their addicted children from the will and not even talked to them. How many grandparents have gone through and looked at the inheritance or looked at what they're giving and said, I can't do anything with this person because they'll just squander it. And I want my talents to be increased, not wasted. And, not, and never once had that conversation with them. So when it comes to I stories or I statements, it would look something like this. Hey, Tom, I know that you've had your struggles. I've had mine over the years. I trust that you'll get it worked out at some point. But I just wanted to let you know I'm about two weeks away from fin finalizing some of the details with this property. And the truth is you're entitled to some of this. But I have major concerns that you might squander what I've worked my whole life for. Can you help me understand what you bring here and what attributes or abilities that you possess that, you know, if we could work on, a, on some behavioral things that I could reconsider? Because I would love to meet with you in a year and see how you're doing and then maybe finalize things in if you, then if you feel like you could get yourself in a position or at least talk to me about it. Maybe it's not even about the will. Maybe it's not even about the property you're handing things down. Maybe it's more about the conversation and getting this kid's attention because he's interested in it. Maybe this kid was an entrepreneur from the day he was born, and that's why he got bad grades, and that's why he never listened, and that's why he didn't sleep, and that's why it seems like, seems like he just never fit in and he's never going to. He might be the best one in your entire family to carry on your legacy. What he's going through might be preparing him and teaching him how to truly connect with people like no one else in your family can. So at least have the conversation. At least jump in there and discuss these things with him because I'll promise you he's aware of more than you realize and in his heart he's starting to see a vision of his future and it includes these type of things. Recap. I stories, I statements, come to them with a personal experience or a personal transition that you're seeking, ask for their help. The iceberg approach, stay focused on the overall picture of the family. It's better that the iceberg changes a little bit than everybody focuses on one person and tries to get them to change a lot. And three, Utilize opportunities to speak about goals or things that drive them. Look, if it doesn't relate with you at all, if they're into 1970s polka paintings, good hell, just do a quick YouTube search on these paintings and maybe print one off and go talk to them and put in a little effort. <laughs> it's worth it, okay? All right, Randy Palmer, Family Strong Podcast. Thanks for your time. I'll tell you what, I do believe in the power of families. I believe that a family who has the foundation of a council and is speaking on terms openly about some of the challenges within the family will be better prepared for whatever the future may bring. This current situation that has brought you to this podcast, whether it's a, an addiction or mental illness or divorce or whatever it may be, someday could be considered as a gift that was the spark that started this whole thing for you. It's time to start breaking social norms and having these conversations with our family members directly. 
it's time to start asking the questions with our youth about suicide and mental illness and depression instead of waiting them for them to talk to us. It's time to do this as a group with strength in numbers instead of tiptoeing around these issues, pretending like they don't exist or pretending like they can't talk about it. Your family is strong. It's the strongest unit that's ever existed. You're still going to be hanging out with each other. You're still going to be around in 10 years. So you get to choose. Do you want to just, do you want to just kind of um, passive aggressively tiptoe around and tread water through life? Or do you want to step up and create a system and a structure to utilize the resources and pool the resources that you guys have now to address some of these concerns and establish a pattern for the future? Establish something that you can utilize and build upon to help everyone, not just one person. This isn't just one person's disease or addiction. This is everyone's. It most likely didn't start with this one person. It started a long time ago. And now it's time for everyone to get involved. This is different. The cravings of addiction aren't just shows, make a choice and the cravings go away. Not until that muscle is so convicted. But how could it be just people protecting this person from their own choices? Something different has to be done before we just delegate this and send it off. Or before we just avoid it and deny it and act like there's nothing we can do. There's so much we can do. Again, they don't have to get clean for your family to get clean enough. No. Okay, it's dark. It's worth it.